Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement and leadership, Spark Conversations is a solution-focused podcast that connects the child health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems serving children and youth. Spark Conversations is one component of our refreshed Spark Knowledge Mobilization Program. Spark is the shared platform for advocacy, research, and knowledge. I'm Paula Robeson, and today I'm delighted to speak with Dr. Katie Burney. Katie is a clinical psychologist and assistant professor in the Department of Anesthesiology, Perioperative, and Pain Medicine at the University of Calgary, where she leads the Partnering for Pain Patient-Oriented Research Program. She's the Associate Scientific Director of Solutions for Kids in Pain, a national knowledge mobilization network working to improve children's pain through the coordination and collaboration. Dr. Burney also provides clinical care to youth living with pain in their families at Alberta Children's Hospital. Today, we're chatting about a timely topic, family partnership and child health research. Hello, Dr. Burney. Welcome to Spark Conversations. Hi, Paula. Thanks for having me. Patient engagement has been a topic of interest for most of us in healthcare for a very long time. The terminology has changed from patient-centered to uh, patient, family, and child engagement to now patient or family or child youth partnership. How do you view patient partnership in healthcare, particularly pediatric healthcare and child health research? Yeah, this is such a big question. And, you know, Paula, I learn a lot from listening to um, those around me, particularly, you know, my language around this has shifted uh, because of patient and family leaders and champions. Um, people with lived experience um, who really work and are active uh, advocates in this space. Um, and that is kind of where my language now really focuses on this, this partnership approach um, because it's, it's not so much the youth and the child and the, and the family being at the center of the healthcare team or the center of the process, uh, which certainly, you know, I think helped to shift how we think about health systems and health practice. Um, at the time, um, but to equal, you know, as equal members of the team now, um, being able to empower them with uh, information, with knowledge, with decision making, you know, uh, a power uh, to really be involved in in understanding and contributing to um, the questions and decisions that impact them the most. Absolutely. You lead the Partnering for Pain Initiative, an award-winning patient-oriented research team at University of Calgary that seeks to improve the prevention and management of pain experienced by children and their families. Tell us a little bit more about the program of research and its various projects. Yeah, this program, my program of research, Partnering for Pain, really is based in that partnership model. Um, It actually started um, when I was a postdoc fellow um, and we, I led a project, initiated and led a national project um, using the James Lind Alliance priority setting partnership approach uh, which really empowers the voices of uh, youth and families and healthcare professionals uh, to identify the top priorities for research and care in a given area. 
Uh, and if, if people aren't familiar with the James Lind Alliance Priority Setting Partnership, it's it's worth checking out because uh, they've these top 10 priorities have been undertaken in a few different areas of, of health, uh, as well as in child health specifically. Uh, so we set out, we engaged hundreds of uh, people in Canada across the country, um, but non-researchers, right? So this is the chance to speak to people who are traditionally disempowered in the research process in deciding what should be studied. Uh, and we engage them through national surveys, through, um, you know, to list, you know, what are the most important priorities from your perspective about how we prevent and manage pain, uh, chronic pain in children. And then we brought together a diverse group of about 20 people. So youth uh, healthcare professionals from different disciplines, uh, parents and caregivers uh, together um, to reach consensus on the top, the top 10. Uh, and that's what really formed our, our top 10 priorities. And they're quite broad. Um, you know, some of them focus on how do we prevent acute pain from becoming chronic in kids. Uh, two of the top 10 priorities also focus on school or the school setting for children, um, which is so important and, and something that's been largely neglected by, by research, um, as well as some systems change. How do we enable more funding? Um, reduce stigma, better education for healthcare professionals, uh, and so on. And um, really, that started it all. And my Partnering for Pain Research Program really now seeks to action uh, some of those top 10 priorities. These were areas that then we surveyed the scientific literature and really noted a lack of research that had been undertaken to address many of these priorities. So we're now looking to do that and uh, now have, have studies that look at how do we prevent acute pain from being, becoming chronic after surgery in children? Um, how do we enable better access to care, better coordination of care, um, particularly with a view to uh, address uh, disparities? So right now that's really focused on um, ensuring equitable and inclusive best practices for virtual care. Uh, and so on. So, um, and, and we continue to take that patient and family partnered approach. So uh, youth and, and parents are members of our research team for each of these, these projects. Your whole program of research then is fueled by, guided by, and, and essentially completely around the questions that families raised. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, I think that's been really foundational for how I try to approach um, research now. And that wasn't always the case, you know, similarly to many people um, learning about how to partner well with uh, youth and with families and even with other, you know, diverse stakeholders, um, such as policymakers and decision makers, wasn't part of, you know, my my formal training as a, a graduate student or, you know, even as I was finishing my PhD in, in psychology. And so, um, you know, this has really become something that I've had to learn um, learn kind of in formal ways and informal ways uh, and through practice. Um, and but but really now is, is is as I said, foundational. It's integral to how I think research should be done uh, and how we make sure that what we're we're studying, how we're studying it, how we're sharing about it um, is really connected to um, being meaningful, you know that we're we're asking about the right things and making it more likely to have, uh, an effective and, and widespread and more rapid impact. Absolutely. If it's relevant to folks, it's more likely to be acted upon. Yeah. Apart from guiding a particular program of research, what 
additional values does a patient partnership approach bring to a child health research team, the healthcare system broadly? What's in it for kids and their families in participating? Yeah, that's a that's a really important one that I've reflected on a lot um, since I started doing patient and family partnership. It's it's been about five years now. Um, so but I've had the privilege of being able to work with you know more than thirty different youth and and parents and caregivers as equal members of various research teams. Uh, and we've had the chance to ask them through interviews, through surveys, just through informal conversations that we've had. Um, through co-presentations that they've done about their experiences partnering with our team, uh, even publishing together. You know, sometimes not just publishing the science, but we've also published about our partnership process. Um, And I've learned a lot and reflected a lot on their experiences. I think particularly with youth, um, but I think it's probably true for adults with lived experience as well, Uh, oftentimes, you know, we've had, they've had challenging experiences with the health system, uh, opportunities where they felt quite uh, disempowered or, you know, um, stigmatized or, you know, perhaps even traumatic experiences with the health system. And so there's a lot of value in in being able to um, have someone respect your voice, your experience, um, and create some decision-making capacity, space to shape Um, your own, uh, you know, what research is being done to improve the experiences that you've had, perhaps not for yourself, perhaps for yourself, but, but also thinking about the other youth and families. I've noted that a lot of youth and and parents want to improve the system, you know, and and oftentimes they've encountered barriers to do so. uh, But being being part of research teams like this creates kind of a new platform and a a catalyst for um, being able to make or at least move towards uh, some of those changes they'd like to see. And, and then I think the other part that's particularly relevant for youth is, is many youth are um, developing their own professional skills, right? They're kind of at those stages as they transition from, you know, adolescence to young adulthood, they're starting, you know, greater schooling, education, or careers themselves, um, that these are opportunities to develop some of those skills, presentations, you know, writing, being part of meetings, you know, being able to interface with other professionals and, and find their own their own voice and doing so in a way where they're also receiving compensation for that can help to build their their own CVs, their own um, opportunities uh, to contribute in their communities. So I, you know, it's, it's not just about the, the outcomes of the research, I think it's also the other um, ways of engaging uh, that create unique opportunities for youth. Brilliant, brilliant. You talked about a few things that have helped you along the way, um, and and much of what you've learned is through those partnerships. Um, what 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 do we know works for meaningful patient partnership in child health research? There's a lot to learn here, and and I think you know I think it is really important to have a combination of some formal kind of training or some formal sense of what are best practices for how to approach this, um, because it is a rapidly evolving area. And there are some really clear best practices that have emerged, you know, such as things like providing compensation um, to youth and families for their, for their time to engage in, uh, in this way. So I think that's important. Uh, It's one piece. It's, it's not sufficient though. You know, I think this is all about relationships as well. Um, being able to value and respect um, and create space 
um, for others' voices um, and to recognize the power differentials that are inherent to the work. Um, you know, being a teenager showing up into a project team um, where there might be physicians or, you know, managers or policymakers or other health professionals, um, understandably, it's really intimidating. So, you know, how do you how do you change how those meetings happen? You know, things as simple as everyone uses a first name only, you know, even round table opportunities where everybody, you know, the expectation is that everybody has the opportunity to contribute um, and ensuring that, you know, people are listened to and respected are, are really important. What advice, in addition to that, do you have for other healthcare providers and researchers, child health in particular, to purposely improve their patient partnership game? Yeah, one of the things I think is is really valuable is it's is having more than one you know youth or more than one um, parent or caregiver who you're engaging with at a time. Uh, it's a lot of uh, pressure on one person. Um, when you think about addressing those power differentials, um, you know, in the virtual room, we'll say, um, but also because people with lived experience um, may be navigating management of their own health condition as well. Uh, so they may not actually be able to attend, you know, every meeting or be able to engage in all of the opportunities um, or because they're not interested in engaging in all of the opportunities. Um you know, I've certainly partnered with youth where at various times people have had to drop off of projects because of um, flares of their chronic disease or um, or just, you know, wanting to focus on something different. They've now transitioned into university and saying, I don't want to meet and talk about pain you know, every month. I just want to be out living my life. And so fair. create exactly. It's very fair. So creating space for that and, and having multiple people can be one way to, to mitigate some of that. So I think that's a really important one. Um, I mentioned compensation already. I, you know, not only is this valuing kind of the expertise of others, um, I think it also creates opportunity for more equitable engagement. Um, oftentimes, if we rely on people to volunteer, uh, we hear a certain slice of voices because it's, you know, there's only certain people that actually have the ability um, to volunteer their time to do something. Uh, so being able to compensate also allows, um, you know, more, more diverse types of voices to be at the table. Uh, so it's a really important space for that too. And you and I have been involved in projects where it's challenging to advocate that that compensation be incorporated into funding budgets, et cetera. What, what's, what have you done that's been successful in that regard? How have you been successful in that regard? Yeah, I've been successful in that regard through a couple of different means. I mean, we're lucky now that there are some some increasing number of leading practice documents we can look to. Some are in scientific publications um, that provide some guidance for compensation, but some are other kind of large scale organizations like CIHR, you know, who funds a lot of health research in Canada and now has expectations. Um, and, and some kind of uh, guiding documents around compensation. I've also seen guiding documents through certain groups funded through Health Canada, um, you know, that, that also um, provide some expectations for compensation as part of it. Uh, so I think, you know, being able to cite those, being able to direct people to those can be really valuable. Uh, the other part I've used along the way is finding champions. So, you know, I've been invited to speak at certain things and, um, because of the work that I do, been asked to speak to kind of the patient perspective, for example, and 
you know, I'm not someone with lived experience with pain during childhood in, in, you know, other than the typical pain experiences that most children have. Um, and so, you know, it's as a healthcare professional and as a researcher, it certainly doesn't feel appropriate for me to be giving a talk that in any way um, is presented to, to put forward the lived experience or the patient perspective. Uh, so, um, you know, I've advocated people that I knew that were part of the organizing committees or people who were senior within the organization um, who I kind of enlisted to uh, champion that with me. Um, or at least back up some of those requests um, to ask. And, uh, you know, that's that's helped me to be successful in, in some of those spaces as well. Fair, and it's walking the, the walk. Um, For sure. Not just speaking to it. Yeah. So what's the role of organizations like ours, Children's Healthcare Canada, in promoting, facilitating, improving the whole experience of patient partnership and child health research, but also in clinical practice? Yeah, I mean, I think Children's Healthcare Canada has such an amazing leadership role in child health uh, across Canada that it's really well positioned organization to, you know, promote and be aware of best practices and using all of the amazing communication tools and outputs that that you have as an organization to be sharing some of that. I think about, you know, the webinars, this podcast we're doing, the newsletters and, and other forums to share that. As well as, you know, I've certainly um, been part of things where I've seen Children's Healthcare Canada really um, walk the walk as well and, and being able to have the voices of, of youth or, you know, parents and caregivers um, at the table. Um, and I think that's, you know, being able to show through example, but also be able to um, direct people to other resources um, and provide some guidance around how to do that uh, can be really supportive um, to uh, child health researchers in the country, but also to um, to clinicians, you know, to healthcare professionals and decision makers about that. Also thinking about the content, you know, at the the conference, putting putting this topic kind of at the forefront, I think really starts to show people that there's a tide shift, um, and that if you're not doing it, you're kind of behind the times, right? And and I think you know through those actions, we have a way to kind of not just communicate you need to be doing this but also that here's, here's how. Wonderful. Um, we do hope to, to interview some patient partners as part of this podcast as well to, to, to learn from their experience and to share it from a system change perspective. I think that's fantastic, Paula. And, and truthfully, I mean, these are people not knowing who you'll be speaking to, but just knowing I continue to listen and learn. Um, you know, from um, patient and family partners in the work as well. I think it's a it's an evolving space. And there's always opportunity to improve um, how we're doing this, especially when we look, you know, to take more anti racist, anti ableist kind of approaches to the work. And, um, you know, many, there, there's some really kind of leading voices that, that I continue to learn from. So it's, it's great, you're creating space for that, too. The acknowledgement of that expertise in one's care and condition is often undervalued, but we need to put place much more attention to it. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you, Katie. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Always a pleasure to speak with you too, Paula. Thank you for the opportunity. To stay up to date on all of our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to our Spark News e-bulletin if you haven't already. 
Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. And before we go, show some love to your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then join us again next month. Thank you.